when I wanted to explore um, the life of an animal from birth to death, I was able to do that. Um, you know, from, from raising goats from being born um, to actually, you know, slaughtering that animal myself, really assisted in, in probably my own growth as a chef and as a person more. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Australia is blessed with the most incredible club culture. From RSLs to football clubs, lawn bowls and more, they have, in many instances, become hubs of the community and destinations for cheap fare. But a lot has changed in the hospitality offering as clubs look to engage at a higher level with their customers. What does club food look like in 2021? Dave Campbell is the Food and Beverage Operations Manager of the Shell Harbour Club on the New South Wales South Coast. Dave, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm, I'm great as well. You've um, had an incredible career with some of Australia's best chefs and, and hats, and now you find yourself uh, looking after the food in a club. What, what does it feel like? Oh, look, I'll be honest with you. It's not, not really where I envisage my career going. Um, you, know, I've, you know, if I look back to when I was sort of 16, 17 and, and dreamt of working in the best kitchens in the world, I never would have envisaged myself um, you know, working in a club as such. So it's quite a change from what I, I first thought I was going to be doing. What is the environment like? Is it is it a lot different to what you expected? Um, it's it's very structured. Uh, it's very organised. Um, it's big business. Um, and, and it's all about the members and the, and the visitors. It's about the board of directors. Um, and it's about giving people what they want and what they expect uh, in today's food and beverage environment, um, which is probably quite different to what um, what was previously considered as, as clubs being, uh, you know, a discount culture that you'd go to go to a club for a discounted uh, meal, a discounted snitty. Um, now people want quality. Um, they want consistency. Um, they still want big meals in clubs, but, you know, they're, they're happy to pay for what they get. So it's probably changed over the past, you know, 10, 20 years um, to what was previously considered what would club food be. What's excited you about the opportunities that you have in front of you in this role? Uh, you know, uh, after running my own restaurants for the past 15 years, uh, the opportunity was to not be a small business owner. Uh, which 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 might sound really silly, and uh, you know I I you know worked so hard all of my life to be a small business owner, um, and after doing 15 years of it, um, I can honestly say I was exhausted, um, and looking for um, a support network uh, that 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 I didn't have when I was running my own my own small business. Um, I'm, I'm privileged now to be able to say that I, I can call on a HR department on a marketing department, um, when I need assistance with the finance, I can go to a, a CFO. Um, I've got a, a, an executive chef that works for us. I've got two head chefs. I've got um, you know, a, an abundance of staff, whereas running my own small business, um, I was the maintenance department. I was the HR department. My wife did the accounts, um, and, and you know, it, it was really a 24-hour-a-day operation running your own small business. I want to explore what you're doing there with the food at the Shell Harbour Club shortly, but take us back to when you were young. What, what was the lure for you to work in the hospitality sector? 
it's it's a it's a funny situation for me. I, you know, I talked to a lot of other chefs, and they grew up with um, you know historical um, you know influences into their creative culinary experience. Whereas, you know, I I grew up in in Melbourne on Port Phillip Bay, and it was all for us just about going to the beach. Um, having some fish and chips, going out sailing. Um, my mum, you know, she was a, she was a good cook as such, um, but her priorities were more about the, the the family finance rather than about a gourmet meal. Um, and and so it sort of fell to other um, people within our in our family. Um, you know, my my uncle was an artist, and his his partner was um, Filipino, and and he was a great cook. And I I always remember those smells of going up to Castle Maine and, um, you know, going into their kitchen, going into their veggie garden. I thought, this is, this is where I want to be. Um, so then from, from, that, from that point onwards, I just always told everyone, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a chef. But, but I didn't really understand what being a chef actually was um, until, you know, I just kept pushing on. And it's one of those things, I, I guess I'm a bit stubborn that if I want something, then I'll go and get it. And perhaps I, you know, so many people tried to talk me out of being a chef. Um, you know, we had other friends that were chefs and they said, whatever you do, you don't want to be a chef. You're going to be working all the time. You're working every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You're going to be working on Christmas. And, and I thought, I don't care. This is what I want to do. So I just made it happen. So as, as um, you know, as I came out of year 12 and, um, you know, completed my HSC, I just went and found myself an apprenticeship at any place that would take me, and it was just sort of the local, um, the local suburban sort of um, seaside restaurant down at Cronulla. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, this is the best that I can get. And then I started working down. I learnt heaps under this um, head chef that was there at, at that time. Um, and I'm like, what? What's this uh, blancmange? And he's like, oh, it's a set custard of, of you know, eggs and cream. And, and I thought, like, this is amazing. And then. I'm, I'm sitting there and, and just doing oysters, Kilpatrick and nachos, and I thought this is this is where it's at. And then uh, I got told about this place called Rockpool, and and they're opening up this new restaurant called Star Grill in Darling Harbour. And I thought, oh, this is this is where I need to be. So that's when I progressed into into the sort of fine dining um, realm back when Rockpool was in its heyday and and huge expansions um, into Star Grill and Rockpool and. Um, you know, that was a real inspirational time for me, being able to work with people like John Sussman, um, you know, out the back in the fish room um, and, you know, Khan Daisies and, you know, all sorts of different people. So, yeah, it really was an inspirational time for us. Do you have any stories of that time at Star Grill and, and Watpool? Oh, um, yeah, probably <laughs> some that I probably shouldn't share. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, was, it really was an amazing time. I mean, looking back on it, you know, really were doing like, you know, like what all chefs do, the 100-hour weeks. You know, I'd, I was living, living you know, down the Shire at the time, so I'd catch the train into work and be there at 8 o'clock in the morning and, and go straight in the fish room and then onto the grill and then and push through till, to night service and finish work at, at midnight. And then I'd miss, miss the train, so I'd have to catch the night rider home. Um, and then, then I'd get home at sort of half past one in the morning and, to get up at 6am to, to jump back on the train and do it all again. So, you know, it really was, you know, it, it was a fun time and it, it sort of set the set the bar as far as how hard I was going to have to work. 
um, you know, jumping into the fish room with, with Suso and, and saying, okay, we've got to fill it some garfish today and seeing, you know, 20 tubs of garfish that would go out to, you know, Rockpool or, 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 you know, Rockpool events or something like that. And we'd stand there side by side and just be filleting garfish all day. But, um, but I can fill a garfish now, nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> you also uh, work with, with Kylie Kwong at Tetsuya Wakuda, what, what sort of influence did they have on you? Oh, huge! I mean, what what I learnt um, working with um, with Neil at, Tet, at, at Neil at Rockpool and um, Kylie was um, Kylie was there at the time and, and moving over to Rockpool was really was an appreciation for quality produce. Um, you know, I always knew what quality produce was, but to to be handling it all day every day to see. Um, foam mats put down on the cool room floor for when we're receiving, you know, the, these 50, 60 kilo tuners, um, you know, straight off, straight off, you know, the, the fishing fleet that was fishing directly for Rockpool um, to receive, you know, we were getting these baby corns off from Trisha's farm up up north, um, Neil's, Neil's business partner, um, and these baby corn that were just coming down were just absolutely phenomenal um, and really set the precedent for what, um, quality produce was, um, and how simply you could treat it to make such an amazing, an amazing dish. You know, and you know, and, and the same thing for Kylie. You know, she she was obviously doing the same thing, just getting really simple produce and just putting it with a, with you know a cultural significance. Um, you know, in the in in the menus that were happening with Wokpool. Um and then you know she moved on to on to open up Billy Kwong, and I was fortunate enough to go on. And worked there for a while with her while I was setting up my first restaurant, and you know, and, and just continued. You now she she put me in contact with some of these great suppliers of biodynamic eggs and and organic free range chickens and um, you know White Rocks veal, and um, it, it really did set the bar of what was expected of a of a of a chef, an upcoming chef in Sydney or in Australia at that time. You mentioned that you uh, was you had your own business, a small business, for fifteen years. Tell us about the trajectory and the the move towards your the first uh, restaurant that you opened. Um, so I was, you know, after after working for for a Rockpool group, I went and worked for for a pub for a while and and opened up um, you know a group of a group of pubs, including Norley's, um, which was exciting and fun and but you know not really what I wanted to do. So took the opportunity to go overseas traveling and and was heading over to to London. Um, you know, been asked to go and, and work for Tetsuya over in London. So headed over there and, and worked over in London for a while. And we we're living in um, we were living in Bayswater at the time and I was just working all the time like like you do when you go over there. You know, um, Tetsu's restaurant was brand new and everyone was doing six day weeks. Um, and so I didn't really have much time up my sleeve. I couldn't go anywhere while I was in London because um, I had to be back to work the next day. So just went around to, you know, a couple of local places from Bayswater and found um, a shop called um, uh, the, uh, Cooking the Books. No, what's it called? The bookshop in London. Um, that's that's dedicated for cookbooks. Um, and I, I was finding out that I was hanging out there a lot of the time, um, just reading these cookbooks. And you know, they'd bring me a coffee or something because I was there for so long. And then someone out the back was baking something, and you know, you could buy a scone or something for for a couple of couple of pounds. And um, and I thought, this is amazing. This is this is what. Um, you know, creating a, a central hub for the hospitality community to, you know, embrace what they actually 
loved, which is cookbooks. Um, so while I was while I was over there, I thought, oh, that could be a good business for a while, and um, just sort of put it in my pocket, and and then went and worked, went and worked over in New York and, and LA, and LA was an exciting time, but um, you know after a year and a half of living in downtown LA um, with my wife in the hotel, we we both decided that it you know was was not the right place for us to to continue and to raise a you know we were looking to have a family at some point, so. We thought let's move back to um, back home to Australia, and and when we moved back home, you know there wasn't anywhere that I was that excited to go and work. You know I'd just come back from London and, and New York and LA, which I thought was you know the the bee's knees. So Kylie called me and, and said, "Do you want to come and work for me?" And I said, "Yeah, I do, but I don't really want to work too much because I want to set up my own business." And she said, "No worries, let let me help you. What what can I do?" I said, "Just just be there for us and." And be a mentor, and and she did. That's exactly what she did. I looked at looked at a at a site down in, on Elizabeth Street, um, you know, which a couple of other people ended up having a crack at as well, um, down by Central Station. And um, I said to Kylie, I found this great spot, and she said, you don't want to you don't want to take that spot on. She said, can you imagine someone coming in there, expensive car parking out the front there, and then the car getting stolen, and your their experience of dining with you is their car getting stolen. I thought I'd never thought about it like that. So, so I went to the other end of Surrey Hills and, and end up finding this spot. And I was, you know, going into Burke Street Bakery. They just opened and and said to them, "Oh, I'm thinking about that spot across the road there." And they said, "Oh, well, well, we want that spot." And I said, "But you've just opened." <laughs> and they said, "Oh, well, you go ahead and, and take that spot." So we so we opened up our our first business, um, which was the book kitchen, and it had a had a real focus on um, on not just cookbooks but food food books. So it was um, books on bees and um, organic growing and the slow food movement. Um, you know, we had um, technical um, texts in there from Larousse Gastronomic to um, you know um, vintage copies of, of um, Elizabeth David, um, and 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 we. Yeah, we had we had huge dreams, huge dreams, but uh, you know they don't they don't always work out as you as you'd intended, and and that one that one did and it didn't. It was it was a difficult time for us. You ended up leaving Sydney and creating some incredible um, award winning uh, restaurants on the south coast. What, what triggered that move? You know, opening up opening up the Bull Kitchen was an eye opener to us. Um, in that, you know, I already knew how to cook. Um, I thought I knew how to run a business, but I didn't realise the variables that were in it and the, the element of, you know, I'd call it luck. Other people call it, uh, you know, other things. But, you know, we were sitting there in Surrey Hills and, you know, I remember one day that I, I had to pay a supplier. I wasn't going to get any more supplies and it was a good supply. It was one of the biodynamic suppliers and I thought, well, you know, this person's, you know, supplied us already. I need to pay for the product so I can get some more product. And I had $50 in the till in change and I went and put that $50 in the bank so that I could pay that bill. Um, and and shortly after that, um, Neil Whitaker, who was the editor of Vogue Entertaining at the time, um, he, he, was, he was a regular guy and he said, oh, um, you know, coming in, coming in regular, and just getting a coffee and a muffin or something along those lines. He said, "Oh, Dave, have you got can have you got a business card?" I said, "Yeah, sure, mate. You know, but you know where we are." And um, anyway, he he took that business card and he 
it, it to me it looked like he just scanned it in and and, and popped it in the magazine. Um, but anyway, he, he put it in as one of his favourite places to go, and and that made the difference for us as making a successful restaurant. Um, but what we were, were came back to was um, that we wanted to support local small scale farmers. And when I look back on it, while I was in contact with these local small scale farmers on a on a pretty regular basis. Um, I'd never been to their farm um, and if I had then I'd, I'd go once and just go and see it and then that was it sort of thing and you know then I'd talk to them on, on the phone once a month or something along those lines and you know it's really just small talk with those guys because they're, they're busy running their farm and such so um, we were you know we gave the we, we were given the opportunity to open up another restaurant down at Cronulla in a in a yacht club and and we went and did that and it was it was it was pretty successful as well um, and then one day the board came to us and said, oh, we really like what you've done, um, but we're not going to renew your contract. And I just thought, oh, okay. Well, I probably said a few other things at the time, but um, um, I, uh, later on I thought, um, you know, maybe this is a sign for us to, to, to not continue in the direction that we're going. So um, we'd always loved the South Coast. Um, we always spent sort of time heading down towards Ulladulla and, um, you know, further south than that. And, and I said to my wife, why don't we go just go for a weekend down to down the South Coast and let's go to go find somewhere to stay and we'll go out for dinner and just have a break from it all and, and get away. So so we did that. We went and, and stayed at a little little um, cottage down in Berry, And we said to the guy in Berry. Um, you know, where, where should we go for dinner? And he said, oh, there's, there's two places you should go um, and they're directly across from each other. And and, um, and so we went out for dinner there and, and it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday night, you know, because we were at hospitality and the only time that we could take off. And um, and on, on the Wednesday night, this place was packed and we ate there and the food was okay and stuff, but we had a chat to a couple of the people and like, oh, no, we're locals and this is where we always come to eat. And then later on we thought, um, found out the business was for sale. So long story short, we, we, we bought the business um, and with the, with the main objective of moving down south so that we could um, get involved and get closer to the, um, get closer to the produce, the way it was getting produced, um, get involved with it and, and um, um, be, more be at one with the, with the things that we were serving and, and, and live, live the life rather than the life living us. Well, you created some incredible restaurants down there, Hungry Duck and, and Wharf Road, but you also really explored the local produce and became really involved with alpacas as well. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a funny story. Um, so uh, I, was, I, was, I did a couple of slow food um, you know, I was involved in slow food. We were up in Surrey Hills with um, Jared Ingersoll and, and um, you know, just only only briefly. But then when we moved down the south, I thought, oh, you know, we've got approached to do some slow food dinners down there. And we had some people come in um, and we did the winter solace dinner for those guys. And they said, oh, there's this farmer down here that farms alpacas. And I said, what's an alpaca? And they said, oh, it kind of, kind of looks like a llama. And I said, oh, what's a llama? And so they showed me a picture and I went, oh, okay. I said, do people eat these? And, and the guy goes, oh, yeah, yeah they, they eat them in South America. I said, oh, okay. He said, would you, give, would you give it a go cooking one up for a slow food dinner? I said, sure, no worries. Get the farmer to drop off the backstrap to me. 
uh, and I'll have a look at it. So a couple of days later, I get knock at the back door of the kitchen and um, here's the farmer with a alpaca draped over his shoulder and he brings it over, slams it on the on the bench of the kitchen and he goes, here you go. I couldn't get the back strap out, but I thought you might know what you're doing. <laughs> so I've got this long long neck lamb sitting on my on my kitchen bench and no idea what to do with it. And I just said, oh, all right, let's, let's have a go at it. And I guess that's where sort of my, you know, some previous training on, on breaking down whole animals at, at various restaurants um, paid off that I, I knew that it was just the same as another animal and, um, and ended up pulling it apart and, and started doing some trials and testing on, on what I thought we could do with it. And the farmer had never really sold the meat commercially before and he, um, you know, he's a, he's a retired businessman and had huge dreams for it. And I just said, mate, no one's going to want this. And he goes, give it a go. Let's, let's try it. And ended up doing a, a lot of um, product and development for, for him. And, um, and you know, now, now the alpaca meets, it's everywhere. You know, it's in heaps of Melbourne restaurants in Pastuso down, down there in, in Melbourne. And, um, and, and it gets exported, um, you know, worldwide now. So, um, yeah, it was. He's a he's a real character. I, I did, did some some um, lunches at his property, um, where we were able to you know cook over over embers and um, you know it's it's a really interesting animal. I'm so glad that I was able to be involved with it. You know, we've literally done everything under the sun with these animals, whether it was um, pies and sausage rolls to um, you know tataki of backstrap with you know um, you know three different Peruvian chilies on it. Um, wow! You know, it, it it really is an amazing an amazing animal. Yeah, it's a very lean animal as well. Do you do you have any tips or or secrets into the best way to get uh, the best result out of alpaca? Um, yeah, look, it's 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 like no other protein. It, it really isn't um, because there's very minimal intramuscular fat. Um, the way that they've been farming them now, um, first of all, they're only pasture fed, so you know they don't they don't get any real grain as a supplement to fatten them up. Um, so you know if there is any fat on it, it's very minuscule. Um, so you're really thinking about cooking it in ways it might cook kangaroo or emu that it's um, low and slow or, or, or fast and high heat. Um, so the shanks are fantastic. They kind of cook up like lamb shanks with a, a slightly stronger, darker coloured meat. Um, but the backstrap, the tenderloin, um, the cutlets, uh, you know, you can really treat them like kangaroo and, you know, just a quick sear on the outside, slice it nice and thin and, and do a carpaccio style. Um, and, and because it's quite a neutral flavour, um, unlike lamb, it, it does take to many different flavours, many different um, styles of cuisine. Um, and, you know, we're fortunate that we had hungry duck and wharf right at the same time and we were able to put different cuts through an Asian-style, um, Japanese or, or Chinese-style cuisine, um, but then we could move it down to wharf road where we are doing South American styles um, and that, that we could run it, you know, through an anticucho, um, and, you know, served with chimichurri and, and sort of big, bold flavours as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a diverse animal. Um, but the hind quarter, it, it stumped me for so long. It's got a really weird um, structure, muscle structure to it. Um, and uh, we spent a lot of time doing product development for that and, um, you know, ended up turning into um, 
little double smoked hams that are, are still sold in delis and stuff today. So, uh, yeah, again, a really unique flavour. So, yeah, it's, it, it was an amazing time. It really was. Hungry Duck became a real uh, destination in regional New South Wales and a, a real hero in the town of Berry as well. Do you have any fond stories from, from your time with that business? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Hungry Duck was a, was an amazing place and it had, you know, it was a tiny, tiny little kitchen. There was three of us working in the kitchen at the, you know, at the, at the height of it. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the day that we, we opened, there was a queue out the front door and I thought, what, what, what's going on? You know, we're just a little, little restaurant and they all came in, oh, we're here for the new Chinese restaurant. I said, oh, I said, oh, you're all going to be sorely disappointed when you come in here because um, we're not, we're not the, the same week the, the local Chinese restaurant had closed down the same week that we opened up. So, so we, we ended up, you know, like we were so busy and at the end of the night everyone was, was happy to be there and, and I said to them, have you had a look out the back? And they're like, no, no, what's out the back? I said, so I got everyone in the restaurant up, took them all outside and we went out to the back garden. I said, look, this is what we're growing and this is what you, you guys have eaten tonight. And no one was actually aware that we'd spent the past month planting out the whole garden with with um, lots of fresh herbs and, and um, little things like baby turnips um, and, and put in like a finger lime tree and a, um, a kaffir lime, a tamarillo, all these um, fruit trees. Um, and we were p- picking that stuff um, just as like just before service and using those things, um, but no one actually understood that we were doing that. So, uh, so then from there we they said, oh, you've got to you've got to do more events in the backyard. And then we started doing some slow food events and and some good food month events in the backyard there, where we were able to feature the produce of the locals. Um, and then that expanded into. Um, you know, doing bigger and bigger events where we'd be out out on farms, whether we're at a at a winery doing a you know lunch amongst the vines, um, and you know we were actually set up tables pressed up hard against the vines for bud burst. Um, we went to the wagyu farm that we use Shotland as wagyu um, down there in Rose Valley, and 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 I said to the farmer, and again we were using using his whole animals there as well. I said to him, oh, do you reckon we could hold a lunch here? And he said, sure, where do you want to hold it? I said, well, where can I hold it? He goes, well, wherever you want. He goes, look at all the machinery I've got. He goes, if you want me to clear a paddock for you, I'll clear a paddock. I said, oh, mate, if it rains, we're all in trouble. It's going to be real muddy. So I said, oh, what about that shed over there? He said, oh, it's full of hay. I said, oh, so can we clear that out? He goes, yeah, whatever you want. So we cleared the hay shed out. He said, mate, there's going to be mice everywhere. I said, oh, that's all right. It's part of the experience. So we cleared the whole hay shed out. Uh, and put in a whole heap of tables and chairs and, and did a, uh, a massive long lunch um, for, I think, about 200 people. We had barbecues everywhere. Um, brought out an old friend of mine from, from um, L.A., um, Ricardo Zarate, who was just Young Chef of the Year over there at the time, and, and we put on this amazing lunch out there. And, you know, it all really comes back to Hungry Duck and how well it was expe- accepted in the community um, and and that the the choice that we'd made to get closer to the producers um, had paid off, and it was was the right move. Did that connection that you um, with local producers uh, that you forged did it change you and the way that you cooked? It it, it did change me. I mean, I, when we first moved down to Berry, I, we'd lived in town, and I said, oh, I said to my wife, this isn't, this is why we moved to Berry to live in, in suburbia. When I say in town, there's like 300 people who live in Berry, so it's a pretty small town. But, um, but we lived on a suburban block, 
I said to her, you know, I want to, I want to live on a farm. And she says, oh, I'll find your farm. So she goes, I found your farm. Let's go and, go and inspect it. And I pulled into this farm and it was um, about, the driveway is about two kilometres long and it comes up and it's, got, it's in its own valley and it's on about 100, 150 acres and it had a veggie garden and had an old shed that we could do things with and, and it really just sort of made us understand this is the lifestyle we're actually after. And we were able to, on that property there, we, we raised pigs, we raised chickens, we raised goats. Um, you know, when I, when, I, when I wanted to explore um, the life of an animal from birth to death, I was able to do that, um, you know, from, from raising goats from being born um, to actually, you know, slaughtering that animal myself, really assisted in, in probably my own growth as a chef and as a person more um, to understand the importance of um, making sure we appreciate every last little bit of each animal that we that we kill, um, and that that's probably you know one of the main things that I learned out of out of owning a restaurant in Berry and and out of the progression that we've made down the south coast. You made the decision to sell um, Hungry Duck and, and Wharf Road. What, what was that decision process uh, like for you? Um, probably, probably pretty difficult, actually. You know, they're, they're our babies as such. And, um, you know, I put literally my heart and soul and a lot of blood, <laughs> a lot of sweat and some some tears crying in the cool room on some nights. But, um, you know, it was a difficult decision, but we we kind of realised that our family was getting a bit older and, you know, I was just working all the time and there's, there was a lot of um, pressure and, and stress that comes comes with that. It was different different pressure and stresses that we found from when we were, you know, running our business in Surrey Hills that, that we, we struggled in Surrey Hills to get a, apprentices, for example. Um, but down in, on the south coast, we struggled to get professional front of house staff members. And that was becoming a, a bit of a reflection on us as, as business owners. Um, and, you know, we, we didn't want to be represented that way. Um, so we had to make some decisions of what we were going to do about that. And, um, you know, one, one of them was to downsize. So we, we started downsize by, by selling Hungry Duck um, and focusing on, on Wharf Road. And when, when we did that, we, we really noticed, um, I guess, you know, how much reliance we had on, on Hungry Duck and, and the influences that that had. Even though Wharf Road was quite a, a successful restaurant, um, its location in Nowra was, you know, what, what we thought when we first bought it and did the renovation to the old historical building there. Um, we thought, this is amazing. We've finally got a waterfront restaurant and, and um, you know, right, you know, it literally can't get any closer to the water. Um, we put a, a floating pontoon out there. We had seaplanes flying in and out. Um, but we just found that um, we hadn't captured the demographic that we, we'd had in Nowra, uh, sorry, in Berry, in the Berry restaurant. Um, and it was just, it was, it was a bit difficult to maintain our standards um, down there. And we thought before we, before we get ourselves in, a, in too much of a pickle, um, let's, let's get out. So, um, so then we you know, made the transition to get out of running our own small businesses. And, you know, while it was amazing while we did it for 15 years, um, you know, by the time I sold them, sold them both, my, my two daughters were um, 13 and 14 and, um, you know, I didn't really, didn't really know them because I've been working all the time. 
So uh, got to know them a little bit and, um, and uh, have enjoyed that, that, you know, that experience as well now. So I get to spend a lot more time with them now, um, you know, uh, you know, running, running, running the operations at the Shell Harbour Club um, gives me a little bit more freedom to spend time with my family. Um, I don't have to be here every Friday and Saturday night. Um, you know, I'm not. I don't have to do 100 hour weeks. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm not. I'm not doing a 30 hour, 38 hour week. But um, which, you know, probably doesn't happen in hospitality at all. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a huge change. It's a huge change. Tell us, tell us what you brought to the food program at Shell Harbour Club and, and what we might expect in the future as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been a transition to, to come into the Shell Harbour Club and um, to, I guess, bring in some of the principles that I'd worked on for, for so long. So I've, I've now been able to bring in the um, Shotlanders Wagyu. We, we buy whole animals from, from them now um, at the club and, you know, we're a big venue. I've got sort of five cool rooms here. So I've got one meat dedicated cool room um, and, and we're able to utilise the whole animal here as well, just purely because of the size of the venue. We've got we've got eight food outlets and five bars. Um, so, you know, we can have one, I think we've got 14 deep fries here. Um, so we have one dedicated Wagyu fat fryer, um, you know, that we're able to utilise that for. You know, we, between all the different cuisines that we do here, we've got an Asian outlet, a, a you know a, a barbecue outlet. We've got our you know our standard sort of um, bistro fare that has steaks and and that sort of stuff on it. Uh, we can literally use the whole animal here with absolute ease compared to what a small restaurant, um, small business might be doing. So we've been able to bring in some of that sort of stuff. You know where the club was previously using just buying milk from whoever. You know now we buy South Coast South Coast milk. Um, and we, we can make our own butter and all those sorts of things. So started bringing that, um, you know, the, the small-scale farming into a big-scale business. Um, we use Milton Meats for all of our steaks now. So, you know, previously we were just buying carton meat out of, out of Sydney and who knows what farm it came from. Now we're able to be stand proud and, and say we're supporting our local community, which is what a club's all about. It, it's about supporting the community. It's about... Um, giving back to the community. It's a, it's a not-for-profit organisation um, and the, the F&B should be contributing back in the same, in the same fashion. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a work in progress. Um, it wasn't going to happen overnight. Things in, in club land don't happen quickly, um, but it, it is starting to happen. It, the, the, one of the reasons that I came to the club was because they, they sold me on a story of diversification um, which I was was interested in, and, and they said to me, you know, when I first started chatting to them, oh, we, we've got other venues, and I said, well, what do you mean other venues? Like you own another club or something? They said, no, no, we're going to just do a like a wedding venue, and I said, oh, where's that? Oh, the Shell Harbour Surf Club. So we're going to take that on as a wedding venue. Oh, that sounds interesting. Oh, and we've got this old historical building that we've bought as well. You might know it. So the, at the very end of Seacliff Bridge. Um, just north of Wollongong and, and south of south of the Shire is the uh, iconic Seacliff Bridge that goes out over the ocean there. And at the end of the Seacliff Bridge, there was this derelict hotel called um, the Imperial Hotel. The club bought it as a as a historic venue to renovate and, and to um, you know to 
bring back to the community. So we've spent a fair bit of time renovating that that premises now, and we're literally just about to open it, just as the uh, um, the second COVID lockdown happened here in in New South Wales or in in Sydney. So we we <laughs> at twelve o'clock we got told uh, you know think something that might be happening. Um, and then by two o'clock, we shut the premises down and, and didn't proceed with opening it that night. So uh, now we're now we're now we're back on track and, and looking forward to the opening um, before Christmas. You've had the most incredible career and made such an incredible impact on the south coast of New South Wales, and you continue to do that. What is it that you love about what you do? Um, I, I guess one of the things I love is probably also one of my frustrations. Um, I love seeing um, I love seeing other people being enthusiastic about hospitality. I love people embracing cuisine and culture and, and small scale farming. Um, but that's you know especially on the south coast, there's there's not that many people that are into it, and and probably in in Sydney as well. You know, to find an apprentice chef at the moment, you know, they're rare as hen's teeth. Um, you might as well be looking for truffles in a car park. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So it's it's a, it, it's a little bit frustrating that, um, you know, when I was an apprentice, I couldn't get an apprenticeship. I had to beg for one. Um, and, and now we are looking high and low under rocks, trying to inspire young people to come into a, an industry that um, that is challenged with recruitment right now. So what, what I'm inspired by is to get these people in and and show them this produce and how good it is and how good it can be and to introduce them to the farmers and start that process again that that sort of i've that journey that i've been on with with some young kids and and that's what we've been able to do at the club it's what we're able to do up at imperial um showcasing you know whether it's aoc oysters that have you know come out of marimbula or you know um out of the shoalhaven river or you know utilizing shotlanders wagyu or you know just just embracing that produce um, in a in an amazing venue, which you know, not many not many businesses would be able to afford the renovation um, that 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 the club has been able to do and the historical um, representation that's been taken there. Well, Dave, very much looking forward to seeing what you do at the Shell Harbour Club and also the Imperial. We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to to just hear a bit of your story. Please keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Huck. Great to chat to you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.